Kids, head to the kids' table. Pre-K, four through third grade is the uh, who's who the kids' table is for. The rest of you, take your Bibles and turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos 5, verses 4 through 15. Continuing our God's Constant Pursuit series with Seek God, Seek Good this morning. Some celebrations this week. Apparently, I'm going to be telling you about the youth group every week, and I have no problem with that. Uh, They had 39 in youth this past Wednesday night. If you remember, two Wednesdays ago, they had 37. And if you remember, a Wednesday before that, they had 35. So I'm expecting by May... If we go up two every week, that's 25. Well, you know, uh, it'd be nice if we could continue that trend. If we don't, we're going to disciple the kids we have. We had, uh, for the first time, uh, Justin put together uh, what he just called, very simply, Friday Night Hangout. Uh, It's for away games, and you can come here. And were they able to watch the game live-streamed? No, okay. They, they were hoping to be able to put the game on from YouTube or something like that, a live stream from somewhere, but it didn't happen. Um, but regardless, they came, played games, uh, bought snacks, drank coffee, uh, and we had 39 kids come to that. So uh, that's incredible. Wednesday night, we had 40 in Awana, which is our highest number so far. We've got new kids coming every week, folks that didn't sign up. And this week... Uh, Sunday, Thursday, and Friday, we had right around 50 people in our combined D groups. So that's half of everybody that's here this morning, uh, pretty much, was at a D group, or at least half the number that is here. So uh, God is continuing to work in our church, continuing to give our church, give us the opportunity to disciple and to make disciples. So uh, we're excited about that. We're in the process of trying to um, reserve the pool at Spar because we have a baptism to do that involves someone who can't climb the stairs and get up there, uh, but apparently the person who reserves the pool for those uh, who's over the aquatics part was on her honeymoon or something. I don't know why she wasn't calling to check and make sure that I didn't have something I needed her for while she was on, but she didn't. So uh, we're, we're in the process of doing that, so we're excited about that. And then uh, light up the night, the, the date wasn't on there, but just to remind you, that's October 30th. Uh, no, it wasn't on the donation one. Um, uh, so that's October 30th. We're going to need a lot of help with that. Uh, obviously, we need the donations. Uh, there's some of the stuff that we are just buying as the church. Uh, so if you want to donate stuff, you can. If you want to donate money, you can. You can just put on the offering envelope, light up the night, and we'll know where that goes to. Um, we're doing, uh, what all did it say on there? Cotton candy, hot dogs, hot chocolate, or lemonade. Depends on the temperature. If we get Halloween from two years ago, we want hot chocolate. If we get Halloween from three years ago, uh, we want lemonade. You know, we just never know what October 30th-ish is going to be for us temperature-wise, since it's going to be like 99 this Thursday. You know, we, we, yeah. (laughs) Um, What'd I say? Hot dogs, uh, the glow sticks, s'mores, so we're going to need people, and our D groups are taking ver- the various stations. They'll be out here in the parking lot in conjunction with Henning's Trunk or Treat. Uh, we're going together and getting the police officer to help direct traffic. Um, I've, I've seen on Facebook there are a number of events going on on the 30th. Uh, Westlake is doing one. I think I saw something in Lake Charles going on. So people are going to be out and about looking for these types of things. So we are planning for... I don't know if we're going to get this many people or not, but we want to way overdo it rather than way underdo it. But we're specifically going to be advertising to Frash, our MDO, uh, I'm sorry, FLC, and Henning's uh, daycare. Well, that right there is about 600 kids. So if every kid came, probably not going to happen, but if only half those kids can't come and bring two adults with them, I think that's 900 people. 
So we're planning for a thousand people just in case. Now, thankfully, everything that we're getting and doing is stuff we can stash and store and, and use for some events through the year if, if we don't use it all this, this particular event. But we need to plan as if we're going to have a whole buku of people. So even if you're not in a D group, we need your help. Uh, you may be one of the ones that's in the, the kitchen boiling the hot dogs so they're thawed out so we can put them on the grill and make it taste like we grilled them. Um, you know, get a little char on there so that, oh, these are the best ever, but they're really just boiled. That's okay. Um, it, it may be running things back and forth. There will be kitchen prep. There will be, we may need somebody in there boiling water for the hot chocolate or or. I, there, there will be plenty for everyone to do. So uh, I'm sure eventually we'll have a sign-up sheet. Uh, again, the D groups will be doing things, so that will kind of be their sign-up sheet. But if you're not in a D group and you want to help, we'll have a sign-up sheet that says, hey, I can do this. And, and we may have to put, what is your level of uh, activity uh, desired, uh, you know, if it has to be a sit and stay in one place, you know, or, or you can walk back and forth. We'll, we'll be working on that. But we're excited about it. This will be our first big community outreach event probably since our last trunk or treat, which would have been 2019. Other than what? Other than the bus barn immediately after the hurricane. So, so that, you know, that, that's, then we go back further. So, um, we're, as you can see, we're excited about it. Uh, Friday night when we should have been watching TV or, or something, we were actually planning and, and buying stuff off Amazon that we need for this thing because that's how excited we are about it as a staff. So, uh, we're going to need your help there. All right, uh, so God's constant pursuit, our memory verse, Amos 5.24. This should be easy, right? Say it with me. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Amos 5.24. That's our memory verse. And we're not going to quite get to that verse this morning, though this verse is in the chapter that we are going to be looking at. God's relentless pursuit. This chapter, this, all of Amos's messages, all of his sermons, are about the certainty of judgment. That's what he's telling them. There's, there's very little, there is a little, but there's very little hope that anything good or any, any um, there will be any deterrent to this judgment that's coming. Yet, even though this judgment is certain, God still relentlessly pursues his people. He, he, the, the, the message that Amos is uh, uh, preaching to the folks, he regularly brings up what God had done in the past. And, and, and you, I, I did these things to you. I, 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 sent, I took away the rain, and I, I, I did, sent these plagues, and these people attacked you, and this and that. And, and every time I did it, I did it to bring you back to me, and you didn't come back to me. And, and those reminders, even in Amos' message now, are to hopefully trigger something. Well, maybe if we turn back to him now. And there's hope in this passage. It's brief. It's fleeting. It's never the kind of hope that is going to fully turn away the judgment. It's decided. It's in the works. In 30 years, the northern kingdom of Israel, 30 years from uh, Amos' preaching, 20 to 30 years, the northern kingdom of Israel will no longer exist. And it never will again. That is certain. But God still pursues. Why? Because he wants the relationship. He wants this continued relationship with them. He wants whoever is left, whoever makes it, even if they uh, are taken off into exile. Even in exile, he wants them to follow him, to trust him. And that brings us to our main point this morning of the, our message. We seek God and good even in the face of judgment or some other difficulty, 
Because justice and righteousness are the responsibility of a follower of God, no matter the situation. It doesn't matter what's going on. We as followers of God, we as believers, are to pursue justice and righteousness, just like our memory verse says. It doesn't say do it when things are going well. It doesn't say to do it when everything's hunky-dory. It doesn't say to do it when we aren't being disciplined or aren't being punished, but to do it. As a matter of fact, the, the memory verse follows on the heels of the day of the Lord. He's talking about all these horrible things. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. We're not, I'm not preaching this passage this morning. I, I kind of wish I was. It's a good passage. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. For those folks, the day of the Lord always meant something great. The day of the Lord, that's when he's coming in. He's going to make Israel a great kingdom again. And what God says is, no, when the day of the Lord comes to you, Israel, you're going to cease to exist. Not a great kingdom again, but no kingdom at all. And gives all these woes and all these things that are gonna, going to happen at the end. He says in verse 23, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Your worship means nothing to me anymore because it's, we talked about last week, I think, hollow worship. But verse 24, our memory verse, Get rid of all that stuff. You, you want to show me that you've changed? Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Even in the face of judgment, our memory verse stands because God wants the relationship and it is our responsibility to be just and righteous no matter what's going on. We see it, we hear it in his message this morning. Chapter 5, verses 4 through 15. For the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey way down to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything and no one at Bethel but with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. Those who turn justice into wormwood also throw righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. He brings destruction on the strong, and it falls on the fortress. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate, and they despise the one who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax from him, you will never live in the houses of cut stone you have built, you will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. For I know your crimes are many and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. Therefore, those who have insight will keep silent at such a time, for the days are evil. Pursue good and not evil so that you may live. And the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Well, there's hope in there, but it's just not a whole lot. It is fleeting at best. It's almost well, subtle, the hope. Seek God, seek good. The title of the message, it's the, the theme of this passage. This passage is, is difficult to, to outline, uh, to preach. The way we want to preach a passage is we want to uh, base our messages on the the structure, the substance, and the spirit of the text. We, we begin with how is that text 
uh, structured. What did, did, did Amos say it this way? Then we, we want to preach it that way. Did, did Paul, if we're doing the New Testament, did he say it this way? We want to preach it that way. Then that's the structure. Then we want to get to the substance of it. What is he saying? What is in there? We want to preach what he says, not something else. And then the Spirit, that's the application. So what does that mean for us today? How do we take that passage and apply it to our lives? The, the, the structure, the substance, and the spirit of the text. The, the structure is the hard part on this one. Substance we got, right? Seek God, seek good. Judgment's coming, but there may be a few of you saved. The Spirit will get there. It's the structure. I wish I'd put it on the screen so you could see some symbol of it, but it uses this, this uh, method of saying something, saying something kind of like it, and then making a point, and then going back and repeating the something kind of like it and the something. If you could draw an X in the air, it would be half that X. You move to this major point, and then you move away from the point. It's got a word that describes, it's called a chiasm. It's based on the fact that the Greek letter, X, we say X, they say chi. So it's a chiasm. It's just a, it's a method of saying something that was memorable. It was poetic. It worked for them. Well, Amos does that a little bit at the beginning, and then his main message is a big one of those, and then he does a little one at the end too. Well, that structure's hard to preach, so I'm going to well, kind of like what they teach you to do in public speaking. I'm going to tell you what I said, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And that's kind of the way this works. It just doesn't make for the easiest structure in preaching. Well, thankfully, by illumination and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Amos gave us some, some anchor words here to talk about this morning. He starts off by saying, seek God. And even in his structure, his chiastic structure, his half X structure, he, he says what it's going to, uh, uh, he gives us some, some spots to, to hang out on. So we seek God. We seek God rightly in verses 4 through 5. Seek God rightly. And, and, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop for just a second in the message because there was something I was supposed to tell you at the beginning because half of y'all are wondering what in the world smuggler means on my t-shirt. Maybe some of you didn't notice it. You're just like, he's wearing, wearing, wearing some weird t-shirt. Who knows what that is? The others are going, why? And if you're like me, you've singing, been singing Glenn Fry's Smuggler's Blues song the, the whole time. Right over here in the M of smuggler, where you can't see it, and that's the point, it says Bible, Bible smuggler. Our missionaries around the world daily, some places have to smuggle Bibles in. Truthfully, if you fly to Western Europe, uh, some countries in Western Europe, and you say, oh, I'm going to take Bibles to places, or I'm going to, as a missionary on you know, mission work, they're going to let you in. So, that's what this is for. I know that's a weird place to interrupt, but I just thought about it. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to do this at the beginning, and I don't want you sitting the entire service wondering, why does his church, I mean, why does his shirt say smuggler? That's why I'm supporting our missionaries that could lose their lives just for taking this book across the, uh, the border into the country that they're serving. All right, so Random, I know, but that's the way my brain works. So we seek God first rightly in verses 4 and 5. He tells them, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal, don't go to Beersheba. Oh, what do those places have in common? Bethel and Gilgal were set up as false places of worship to take the place of Jerusalem. Do you remember way back in, in, when we were going through kings, the, the uh, first king of the nor northern kingdom... Jeroboam said, I don't want them going down to Jerusalem because if they go down to Jerusalem to worship, they might stay there and I lose all my people. So let's set up some places to worship in the north. Well, God didn't tell him to set up places in the north to worship. God said they worshiped the temple. So he sets up these places, Bethel more in the north, Gilgal more in the south, and then Beersheba had kind of become a... a um, pilgrimage spot uh, to, to get 
And it was down in the southern part of Judah, the southern part of the southern kingdom, down toward the area called the Negev, the desert, the wilderness. And they kind of just go around and go there. And God says through Amos, Seek me, but, but not all these places. You're not going to find me there. Now, it's true that God is everywhere. It's true that we find God wherever we worship him. God was not bound to Jerusalem, not bound to the temple, though the, the, the countries around them, that's what they thought of God, that they were bound to particular areas. It's why when uh, some uh, foreign folks would, would follow God, um, the, uh, the guy with the leprosy that got healed, Naaman, the general from Assyria, when he got healed, he took some dirt back. Well, that's why, it's because that's, that's Yahweh's dirt. So I want to worship him on his ground. It's superstitious. It, it, it was okay. God was like, nah, I'll, I'll allow that this time. But as a general rule, no, God's not bound anywhere. So it's not really about the location. It's about who and what and how they were worshiping. They weren't worshiping rightly. There are right and wrong ways to worship. That's what God's telling them. That's what he's telling us today. There are right and wrong ways to worship. Now, this isn't about style. This isn't about location or, or colors or that sort of thing. Certainly not for us today. Jesus' response to the Samaritan woman who said, you know, we've got this thing where where." We worship on one mountain, and you Jews worship on another, and, and who's right? And Jesus says, neither, because it has nothing to do with the location. The day's coming when neither mountain will be where you worship. You will worship me in spirit and in truth. That's why we as believers love to take trips to the Holy Land to see the beginning of this, and let me just say, there's a slight chance right here, a commercial for 2024, uh, I know a group that's planning a Holy Land trip, and I think it might be time for our church to try to send some folks to do that. So, so just keep that in mind for 2024. You may be hearing about the opportunity to go on a trip with uh, First Baptist Pineville uh, to the Holy Land. I think it's, it's incredible. I've never been. I want to go, too. But you know what we don't do? We don't go there to worship rightly. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to the temple. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to Calvary. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to Bethlehem. Why? Because those are places of, ex of significant events in our salvation history. But they're just dirt and rock and, and buildings maybe. We worship in spirit and truth. God says, seek me rightly. Seek me with the right heart, spirit, and with the right words, truth. So when we worship, we don't worship him with words that don't describe him. Uh, we, we ground everything that we sing, everything that we do in Scripture. Uh, there are some churches that that believe that you can only sing psalms, like psalms from the scripture, I mean, and, and that's, that's what they do. And, and okay, I, I, we're, that's not us. Uh, there are those that believe a worship service has to have certain things in a certain order, okay? Uh, well, that's not us either. As long as we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, we are seeking God rightly. That's what he tells them first. As you worship. Now, the rest of the passage is devoted to something besides their religion. The rest of the passage is been going to be devoted to their relationship with each other. So the next section, he says to seek God repentantly. And that is a word because it doesn't have a little red squiggly under it when I typed it in Microsoft. Seek God repentantly, verses 6 through 7. The one who made Pleiades and Orion, same constellations we look at at night, who turns darkness into dawn and 
Oh, did I skip? Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. Thanks for psting me. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything, with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. Those who turn justice into wormwood and also throw righteousness to the ground. Seek God repentantly. The, the or there, very, very little word for us. Two simple little letters in verse 6. Seek the Lord and live. There's your command. Seek the Lord and live. That's what we've been talking about anyway. Seek God. Seek the Lord and live. Or, if you don't seek the Lord and live, this is going to happen. Repent and seek the Lord and live. Because if you don't, or, he will spread like fire. God will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. We don't hear house of Joseph very often. So just for your, your knowledge, house of Joseph, Joseph was not, a, not one of the 12 tribes. Levi didn't get his own tribe because, in his own land because Levi lived everywhere. The tribe of Levi, they were the, they were the church folks. They were the ones that took care of the temple and were taken care of by all of the other tribes. But good round number of 12, there still needed to be 12 tribes. If you take Levi out, there's 11. So what they did was Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons. And as a matter of fact, Ephraim, and well, Manasseh and Ephraim, were the two most powerful uh, tribes of the northern kingdom. So it just came to be that the house of Joseph was just... just uh, uh, a name for the northern kingdom of Israel. So he's saying it's coming through the house of Joseph, the two most powerful tribes in the northern kingdom. It's like saying in the southern kingdom, Judah, even though it's Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin didn't mean a whole lot. wasn't it, wasn't that strong of a, a, a tribe. He says to the people, your strongest tribes, house of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, they gone. It will sweep through them. It will consume everything with no one at Bethel, none of the priests, the fake priests, not the fake uh, temple, not your fake worship, nothing there to stop it. No offerings you can give uh, in, in, in that situation, in that scenario, no, no peace offering, no sacrifice, nothing you do there is going to make a difference because... You're not seeking God there. But Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? Y'all, this is why you read your Bible. This should be an echo of Matthew, the book of Matthew, where it, Jesus says people will come to him on that day. They'll, they'll stand at judgment and say, didn't we do this in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what this northern kingdom is doing. We worshiped in your name, Yahweh. We did the stuff you told us to do. We did the, the sacrifices and the offerings, and, and we had the songs, and we had some nice altars set up and some buildings. Wasn't that what you wanted us? And he will say, and he says, no. Verse 23, which we're not preaching on today. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Verse 22, even if you offer me your barn offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings or fattened cattle. No, he doesn't want all that because that is just mess to him. It is noise. It is worthless. It is pointless. Why? Because their hearts weren't turned to God. Seek God and live. Don't seek motions, because then you're not going to live. The, the broad categories where they're needing repentance, and he's going to lay it out in further verses down the, down the page. The broad categories needing repentance are justice and righteousness. Let justice flow like water, and righteous like a never-ending, an unending stream. Seek God repentantly. He's going to talk about it. As a matter of fact, 
Well, it's, the, it's two sections away. Again, he does this, he drifts this direction, then he comes back and talks about it some more. So we're, we're getting toward that point over here. We seek God apprehensively in verses 8 and 9. Seek God apprehensively. I struggled to come up with a word that ended in L-Y to go with this. Seek God apprehensively. The one who made Pleiades, now I'm where I started to read earlier. The one who made the Pleiades in our eye and who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it over the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. He brings destruction on the strong and it falls on the fortress. Just a quick little uh, couple of verses of, oh my gracious, God is powerful. And therefore we approach him apprehensively. We preachers have done a, a horrible job of, well, I guess we've done a good job, but it, we shouldn't have done it, of, of removing a lot of the fear of the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have reinterpreted, uh, redefined, retranslated that word from fear to respect. Oh, yeah, respect is part of it. But fear is a big part of it. Just absolute terror. Look at everybody who meets God in the Old Testament. We, we have in Jesus Christ our, our intermediary, intermediary. We see God in the flesh looking like us and, 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 and behaving like us in all the good ways and none of the bad ones. Um, and and, and it, 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 it dulls God. Uh, Peter, James, and John got to see him undulled on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they came right away going, oh my goodness. They wanted to build, build altars and shelters and temples. We've got to do something because this is impressive. And, and then we see Moses on the mountain, and when he comes down after spending time with God, he glows for the rest of his life. It's like he was irradiated, like he had gotten into some, you know, Marvel would have written a comic book about him and said now he's got superpowers. He glows and his hair's white. And, and, and that's just from spending a few days with God. Elijah, uh, just, you know, he's impressed by the whisper. On and on and on, when they see God, when they meet God, if they come close to seeing God, no. What do the people say at the bottom of the mountain? When Moses says he's going to come talk to y'all, who no. <laughs> he can talk to you, Moses. He ain't talking to us, because we know what will happen. Isaiah, in the temple, has a vision Sees the Lord. I uh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. He knew he was done at that moment. It was over for him. Because he feared the Lord. He approached God apprehensively. And why? Because God does not wink and shrug at our sin. God does not look at us turning justice into wormwood into bitterness and into making it something nobody wants. He does not look at us throwing righteousness to the ground and go, eh, well, you know, that's just kind of what they think. It's eh, no big deal. He does not look at it that way. He is destroying a country because of their lack of justice and lack of righteousness. And those things flow from their lack of right worship. Don't get me wrong. There, there's a connection here. But everything he describes is what they are doing as a people to other people. We seek God apprehensively. When we come to worship, when, when we pray, when we approach God, it is not wrong for us to approach the throne of grace with boldness. It is not wrong for us to let our emotions vent at God. But God's attitude of reception depends on our attitude of approach. What do I mean by that? If we approach God as 
Israel was. As rote um, activities that mean nothing to us other than trying to curry favor with our God, or if we approach God in arrogance as if he owes us something, which is kind of what Israel was doing too, God uh, uh, receives us as he describes here. The, the maker of Orion and Pleiades, the one who turns darkness into dawn, darkens day into night. When we approach him with arrogance, we see compared to him just how much nothing we are. And that's what he's saying here. You best when you seek me, because the command is still to seek God. But you better seek me in repentance right before this. Rightly as you worship and apprehensively because I can squish you in a heartbeat. That's who he is. That is what he is able to do. But when we approach God in repentance, repentantly, or I'm not there yet, but I'll get there in a second, submissively. When we approach God correctly, we are received warmly. We are received like the father received the son, the prodigal. We are received with open, arm, open arms. We are welcomed. We are celebrated over. I believe it's Zechariah or Zephaniah 1, one of the Z prophets, says we are danced over with song by God. What's different between the one who created Pleiades and Orion and, and the one who dances over us? Our approach. So we seek God, we follow the command, but we seek him apprehensively, knowing who we are approaching and what he could do but doesn't do by his own grace and mercy. Why? Because he relentlessly pursues us. Why doesn't he just wipe us out, end this mess? He loves us too much. He relentlessly pursues us. Next, we seek God submissively in verses 10 through 13. Here is the passage where Amos lays it out. Everything that they were doing, everything that was going on, that, that he uh, was destroying them for. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate. The city gate was the courtroom. That's where it all happened. It's where... Uh, 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 Crimes were tried, civil suits were tried, it happened at the city gate. They, the people he's about to destroy, the people that should be seeking him by uh, coming to him uh, apprehensively and repentantly and rightly, they uh, hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate, justice. They despise the one who speaks with integrity, righteousness. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, because you hate, uh, the, uh, you, you are unjust and you are unrighteous, you hate the uh, trample on the poor, you exact a grain tax from him. No, please don't say, see, taxes are of the devil. <laughs> and no, uh, probably this is talking more along the lines of sharecroppers. Sharecroppers, if you remember, they had to work this piece of land that wasn't their land, and a portion of everything that they uh, harvested, usually the largest portion, much largest portion, went to the owner of the land, and they got to keep a piece of it, and then they had to pay rent for the land as well, and in return they got a house of a sort. And if the harvest was bad that year, they still owed the guy, the owner, 
the portion that they were supposed to give him that year. They still owed the rent portion of that crop, and they were supposed to somehow live off the rest of it. Well, there wasn't any, anything. So it created debt and more debt, and then didn't provide them anything to live on for that year. That's the kind of thing they were talking about, taking advantage of the poor. Therefore, uh, because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax, the, the response was, you'll never live in the houses of cut stone you've built. You'll never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. You will do all this work. You will extort. You will damage. You will hurt. You will trample. You will steal. You will bribe. You will do all these things in order to get wealthy and build up your own uh, uh, resources, your own uh, um, kingdom. And guess what? You're not going to see a bit of it. Because of the way you have been. Verse 12, For I know your crimes are many, and your sins innumerable. You oppress the righteous, take a bribe, deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. Therefore, those who have insight will keep silent. Those who know the truth, because of how evil you are, they won't even be able to say anything. Whether that's a condemnation of those people or not, doesn't matter at this point. The, you are so evil that the people who know to do good won't even say anything. Seek God submissively. Give all of that up. Remember, our command in verse 5 and uh, I'm sorry, verse 4 and verse 6, to seek the Lord and live, to seek the Lord and live, has not gone away. So he recounts these things to remind them of the things that they need to give up, the things that they need to move away from. Why? Because of this sliver of hope that he's going to get to here in just a minute. God tells them, your sins are known. You're not hiding anything from me. We, we think we do. I, I mean, we know we don't, and yet we think we do, and we kind of act like we're clever. And, 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 but God knows that our sins are innumerable. And let me remind you that this, he is talking about societal sins, not religious sins. They are being punished for disobeying the second greatest commandment, as Jesus told the Pharisees. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this ultimate punishment is for. But they don't keep the second commandment because they don't keep the first commandment. There's a reason Jesus said it the way he said it. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And it is like unto it. Uh, like one, again, what I've said before, 1A and 1B, or 1A and 1A and a half, or whatever. It's just, just barely not the same. And so he is calling out to the people. He is relentlessly pursuing the people to seek him, but do it submissively. That means they got to admit all those things are wrong. That their oppression of the poor, that their, their bribes, their, their, their cheating... Their, their hoarding of their wealth. They're using other people to get rich while those other people just get poorer. All of those things are wrong. We are to seek God submissively. And then he changes it. We go from seek God to seek good. Except that's not a change at all. There's actually no difference between the two. God is good. Uh, this, this is an easy transition because to seek God is to seek good. And if we are truly seeking good, then you know what we're going to find? God. That's been his point about all these other gods, these false, this false worship they're doing anyway, is that there's, there's no good in it. They, they, they worship these gods that, that revel in sinfulness because the, the gods themselves are sinful. Even, oh, let's see, even, uh, I believe it was Plato. Plato, not the mushy stuff. Plato said, the Greek gods, they're no gods at all. 
They're, they're, they're no higher, no better than, than man. They just have power. He recognized that. And our, our seminary president, Dr. Jamie Dew, could tell you this much better than me, and, and I'll let him do it, so hopefully sometime in the spring. Um, but they look, they, they, they look at these gods. We, we want gods like us, don't we? Because if we have gods like us, they can't require anything of us. That's why we like our own idols. That's why we make and fashion God in our image instead of us being in his image. So he can say and transition to uh, seek good from seek God. And we seek good worshipfully. Now, if I could have drawn this out for you, you can see now that we are going back. We've already talked about worship, right? We talked about worship at the beginning, Gilgal and Bethel. Well, now we have made our point and we're coming back to that. He's, we're seeking not just God worshipfully, but we are seeing in, in right worship, but we are seeking good worshipfully. He says, pursue good and not evil so that you may live. Pursue good and not evil so that you may live. James, the book of James. Um, faith is out without works is dead. Thank you just completely left me. I knew what I wanted to say. And that's what he's saying. Pursue good and not evil. Put your faith to work so that you may live. And the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you. And this little phrase, as you have claimed. There's so many people that want God to bless their own thoughts and ideas. God changed those people to think like me. Well, but you wrong, though. God says, no. When you seek good, when you are doing the things I tell you, you need to come to me and worship me the way I tell you to. They claimed worship, but it isn't. And he gets his point across by saying... I, the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord of hosts, this ain't our army. This ain't, this ain't the, the United States army. This isn't the Ukrainian army doing great against the Russians right now. Go Ukraine. This isn't any sort of secular, geopolitical, worldly army. This is all the hosts of heaven, all the power of God arrayed in whatever it was he created in angelic form. That's who he rules. Is this somebody we want to argue with? Is this someone that we want to approach arrogantly? Right? He's getting back to that. Seek good and not evil. And when you do, make sure you're approaching me, the God of armies, the way I have told you to. You want to live? You best show up the right way. We seek God worshipfully. They had been worshiping idols for so long, idols that if they didn't do something, the idol didn't do what they wanted, or, or if they didn't worship the idol that week or whatever, they didn't go to idol church that week, they stayed home and were just idle. Um, they, they, it was no big deal. Why? Because the God didn't do anything. Oh, it didn't rain. Well, now I've got to blame it on that piece of wood or whatever. And God says, y'all best not approach me like you do them. You come to me worshipfully the way you've been told to, not the way you say you have been worshiping me. Seek good worshipfully, and then finally seek good hopefully. I'm going to break my rule right here. What is hope? Confident expectation. I've, 
If y'all don't remember nothing I've ever said in this, in this sanctuary, you're going to remember that confident expectation. There is no confident expectation in this point of the passage that judgment is not coming. They can confidently expect that the kingdom is going to be destroyed. It's a given at this point. So what are we coming hopefully to God with? What confident expectation do we have? Hate evil, love good. He just flipped it from verse 14. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. So be righteous, be justice, uh, be just. Let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Perhaps, perhaps, the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Perhaps. I gotta admit, I don't like that word. How about guarantee? How about without doubt? How about, thus says the Lord, the God of armies, he will be great. How about, and God says, how about you go with what I wrote, boy? Perhaps. If we do the right thing, God may respond by withholding judgment. Or he may respond by at least saving a few of the faithful. But y'all, in the coming judgment, in the previous episodes of, dis- of discipline, famine, war, whatever he was doing that he talks about in chapter 4, in every instant, faithful people died. Faithful people were tortured. Faithful people suffered. And when Assyria will come and t- destroy Israel and cart people off, faithful people will die, be tortured, and will suffer. That ain't much hope, is it? Let's go back to our boys at the fiery furnace. They had the option to turn on God. Nebuchadnezzar basically said, I'm God, not, the, not, not Yahweh, so do what I say and worship me, not your God, and I'll save you from the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response was, you know what? This fire ain't nothing for God. As a matter of fact, of course, they didn't know Amos was going to Uh, Actually, I take that back. Amos had already preached this message by the time this happens. They knew that their God was the true fire. (laughs) You think your furnace is something? (laughs) Let me tell you about the consuming fire uh, that we know that destroyed our brother kingdom in the north just mm, 150 years ago or so. Let Let me tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, about a fire. This ain't a fire. Our God is a fire. So if our God is a fire and your fire's not a fire, then God can save us from the fire, no problem. Because his fire puts out your fire. His fire's water to your fire. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. Because we're hopeful. We have hope. That no matter what happens, the fire burns me, God says to the people of Israel, no matter what happens, if the fire gets you, or Assyria gets you, or the famine gets you, or whatever, be faithful. Be faithful. Let justice flow like water, and righteousness like an unfailing stream. No matter what comes, 
No matter who the government is, no matter what the situation is, no matter what it looks like on the other side of being thrown into the furnace, no matter what it looks like on the other side of the the conquering kingdom coming, no matter what it looks like on the other side of this failed marriage, no matter what it looks like on the other side of this medical diagnosis, no matter what it looks like on the other side of this completely life-altering employment change, no matter what it looks like on the other side of whatever it is you're facing, seek God and seek good. Because God is relentlessly pursuing you through this for your good. And that is our hope. Not in life, money, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, but God. Seek God and seek good. Your search begins with Jesus Christ. The intermediary, the buffer, the sacrifice, the only sacrifice, not Gilgal, not Bethel, not Jerusalem, Not sulfur, not First Baptist sulfur, but Jesus Christ. He is how we find God and how we find good. We are not good. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The, the, The wage of being who I am, a sinner, by nature and activity... And my punishment for that, my judgment for that, the, the consuming fire that's coming, the, 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 the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts who is going to take me out, it's a result of my sin, just like it was a result of their sin. And I deserve it. They deserved it. That's the wages of sin. But we have hope. We have a gift. We have the intermediary. We have the buffer. The gift of God is eternal life. There's a way out. There's always a way out. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If I tell you right now that you come to Jesus and your life's going to be perfect from now on out, well, go ahead and stone me because I'm a false prophet and a liar, so fire me too. Because it's not going to be that way. The marriage may still fail. The diagnosis may end in death. The job may never come back. It may all go to pot. But Jesus will never fail you. Jesus will never leave you. And you can look like those boys standing at the furnace, like our spiritual forefathers standing at the stake the flames rising up around them because they had the audacity to translate the Bible to English, to baptize people according to what Scripture says, to say God is God and not the king. God is God and not the pope. We can stand with them and say, no matter what happens, Jesus will take care of me. I am his, he is mine, and I will not bow. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That as you promised to Jeremiah once the next exile happens, that if we seek you with all of our hearts, you will be found by us. You will put yourself in a position to be seen. We will find you. We will find hope. Seek God, seek good, and live forever with you. God, you make no promises about tomorrow other than that you will be with us through whatever tomorrow holds. And next week and next month and next year, if we have that long, 
But the promise you make is that no matter what happens, you will not leave us, and we will never be apart from you. So, Lord, we come to you rightly this morning. We come to you in spirit and in truth, and, Lord, I pray that if somebody is here who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they'll do that today. They'll admit they're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and commit their lives to Him. They will make the decision to seek you rightly. And Lord, they'll know the hope of you never leaving them. Perhaps some of those things in their lives will straighten out. But even if they don't, We will continue to seek you and seek good for the rest of our days. Lord, may it be this morning among us, among believer and those who have trusted or are trusting today, new believers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what decision, what next step do you need to take this morning? You need to make some decision. Maybe you need to trust Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism. Join our church. Conform your life to Christ, believer. Give God some things, believer. Give up some things, believer. That you say, but if I do, I'm going to lose this. You might. If I do, it's going to hurt. And what happens if it doesn't fix everything? Seek good and seek God no matter what he does on the other side. That's our responsibility. When we seek God and good, even in the face of judgment or other difficulty, because justice and righteousness are the responsibility of a follower of God, no matter the situation. So let's stand, let's sing, let's let him work on our hearts. And this morning, where we sit, stand, whatever, for the next five minutes, seek God and seek good. Thank you.